Hello and welcome in to, I believe, the third episode of the My Wheelhouse podcast. It is me again, your host, Seamus McNamara. Today I'm rocking my Weber State Damian Lillard. Shout out to Dame Dalla. Looking for a big season. Hopefully uh, they can continue to stay healthy over in Portland and come back to the playoff picture after a disappointing sweep to the New Orleans Pelicans. But uh, my projections say otherwise, but I won't tell Dame Dalla that. Uh, today, we're going to bring in my Uncle Mike. Uh, we'll see how it works with podcasting format. Uh, he had his wife, Denise, had to instruct him with the use of the AirPods and all that stuff, so it could be fun. Uh, we're going to get into the Suns, some more Jimmy Butler action, and then some miscellaneous other stuff here and there. So let's get Mike in here. Hello, Mike, you there? I'm there. Awesome. Welcome Relax. to the My Wheelhouse podcast. Cool. Yeah, really cool. It's the first time we're doing this. We'll probably be able to do it more often uh, when we have holidays and stuff off where we're not able to get the studio. I think this will be a great alternative. Yeah, especially when we're into it now and we don't have uh, downtime too much anymore. Uh, there's so much happening that we want to keep up with it. Right. There's information that we need to talk about. <laughs> uh, so a lot of stuff's happened in the past couple days. Uh, we're going to get to as many things as we can. The m- first thing on our docket is uh, very unfortunate. My picks for the breakout player of the year, uh, San Antonio point guard DeJunta Murray, second-year player. Uh, we just got the news from Shams and a couple other guys yesterday that he tore his ACL after the preseason game with the Rockets. Uh, yeah. I was interested to see whether you thought that this really hurts their ability to make the playoffs. Oh, the yeah. The Spurs. I had them teetering on contention to begin with, right around the seven. Uh, I did I did my final slots for what I was going to do for Eastern and Western Conference playoff pictures, and I had them at seven. And after this injury, I, it just it's just another notch uh, on what can be said against them. I mean, the, basically the only reason I have the Spurs in the playoffs is the acumen of Popovich and the history that they have. So I, I don't know. It makes me nervous. Yeah, well, we still got the Popovich history in them uh, I think one thing that comes to mind right away is if you look at last year, um, there were five or six teams within like a couple games of those last playoff spots in the West. And um, I don't see any reason that they can't be one of those five or six teams going down um, the stretch. So I, I think that'll, that'll play out the same way, that, that there's, there's a whole bunch of teams there that are really equal. And I had San Antonio above that. Um, I, what I liked about them um, uh, before the injury was you look at that starting lineup that last game, and I know I'm a lot higher on DeRozan than you are, but um, I liked Murray and DeRozan in the backcourt with Aldrich and Gay up front, and, and you would probably know who the fifth starter was there, but to me it seemed like a pretty potent starting team. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, they were all a seventh seed and maybe even higher. Uh, it affects where they are now. They they were back and forth. I mean, the preseason is a, a test case for trying out different things for the regular yeah. season, so you don't know whether that reflects what their starting lineup will be. But they had games where they started uh, Rudy Gay at the four and DeRozan at the three and Bellinelli at the two. Okay. They, they, they had games where they started – um, uh, Jakob Pertl, the incoming center from. Oh yeah, Jakob Pertl was the other from, one that started. Yeah, so they had him at center. I thought that was a good that was the, Yeah, the game that DeRozan, I mean not DeRozan, the game that DeJunta Murray got hurt, Pertl started at the five. Yeah. And I do like what he could potentially bring to that team. I don't know, it's just, it's so unusual because of how contrarian, uh, the team's, like each individual player's skill on that team is to what the like overall map of what the league is like they have no three-point shooting on this team outside of right. Bill and Nelly um yeah. and 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 they're just they're just bleeding depth uh with every injury that comes yeah even, well, even look, the Lonnie, well, look at Lonnie Walker, yeah exactly Lonnie. exactly I, I was excited for him but it's gonna be a while before we even yeah. see him and then when when he does get healthy he's probably gonna get more minutes than they were expecting to have to give to him just purely based on necessity I, I'm nervous. I, I think uh, yeah. Well, where it, do they go from here, Shay? I think that's the uh, big question. Where do they go? Do they do they go Patty Mills? Do they go uh, White? Hardly has hardly played at all. Uh, do they have to go out and bring in another point guard? Because uh, I like that, White. I like White. I, I think I think they like having Patty Mills off the bench as a, as a shooter and a, a scorer esque type of a uh, mold. So I like what I saw from Derek White. I don't think he's a great player, but I think he's going to develop into a very strong role player down the road. He was okay. an older he was an older rookie when he came in, um, but but the Spurs are known to be able to cultivate 
good talent as sure players, are. Are, are, that are players that are otherwise considered to be lesser than. So I like Derek White's ability to come in. But, again, I honestly think I might drop him out. I mean, I spoke a yeah. while I was talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder and how we just heard about Roberson. Roberson coming yeah. out for two months. Previously, yeah. Yeah, previously, I had the Thunder at the – the three seed or the four seed, and without without Roberson there, I'm dropping him to the seven. You know, so it's it's yeah. It's so who you move up? You move Utah up and um, uh, and Denver up. And Utah and Denver up. Yeah, yeah and I, I think I'm gonna probably have L. A. right around six. I know you're lower on them, but that's okay. I yeah. I, I think that until we see Pop not make the playoffs and not be able to make a roster that at on paper makes no sense work, I think we have to assume that it will. I don't know whether I can. I'm with that. I don't know if I have the guts to cut him out of the playoffs, and that was my mindset when I was making. Well, then how many years in a row? Say, what's the what's the number? Is it like 20 years in a row, or um, I think it's I think it's up to 21. Nobody's ever done that. I said 17 on the last time I talked about it, but I believe it is up to 20 or something. Yeah. But uh, I think what I will do is I will drop them to the eight seed. Um, and I just think that you're you're right. They're going to remain in that morass of teams in the in the lower tier of the Western Conference that are all going to be above 42 wins and below 47 wins. So yeah. it's just going to be really interesting. And I think that they're going to need to continue to beat down the, the the weak teams and hopefully grind out a few wins here and there against the the stronger teams. But I, I'm I'm doubtful. I'm doubtful. And literally, Popovich is the only reason that I'm giving them any respect. Well, I, I give him. I give uh, it all comes from Popovich, but I, I like what he's done with Aldrich, and, and that Aldrich is, you know, from somebody that I just regarded um, uh, um, uh, from his first year or two in San Antonio to someone that is a, really a frontline player, and I, I'm really high on DeRozan, and I think he's going to work in that situation. And, and uh, uh, Poto, I like a lot. I, I like Mills. I like Bellinelli. The yeah. problem is the point guard. Can they can they trade for Tony Parker? Is that is that, <laughs> even, is that even legal? Oh boy, I, it was unfortunate because I mean, obviously, I'm very low into Rosen, but I do believe in Popovich's ability to put his players in the best case scenario for them to succeed. And it was it was great for DeRozan because Zizinka Murray was such a perfect pairing for him. Uh, oh. Ideally, ideally, the point guard or or the or the shooter or the shooting guard in that scenario would be a little bit better from outside. But in terms of an offensive. Uh, backcourt pairing with a, a defensive-minded player. Uh, they really offset each other's strengths and weaknesses there. So it's unfortunate to see him down. Uh, we're hoping him to have a great recovery, and I'm still uh, looking for him to be a uh, top 50 player in the NBA when he does get back to health. Hmm. Um, and there's, so there's no there's nobody that's unsigned right now going in. Uh, there's no point guards out there. Lou Williams. They could sign Lou uh, – oh, not Lou Williams. Uh, Jamal Crawford. They could sign Jamal Crawford. Yeah, but he's not going to start for the more no. – no, so no they're, so they they got a they got a big problem there. Um, uh, they're in trouble. So uh, they, uh, be we, you want to move into the preseason? Um, uh, what's going on now and everything? Or um, uh, yeah, sure. I I just I was just curious. Uh, it was pretty broad with it. I mean, I, I, I obviously I've been watching nonstop preseason basketball. I just wanted to know maybe three or four of just some of your takeaways. It could be about yeah, a player. Um, it could uh, be about a team. Uh, it's, I feel like it's easier to make takeaways about players than about teams because. It's kind of up in the air for how much matters, you know what I mean? Well, that's where I've been from the beginning. And, and it's, uh, you know, to me, um, uh, the season starts and reality sets in. And, and right now, we, we haven't started the season yet. So um, no. uh, all this, I'm not going to call the New York Knicks a good team. I'm not going to call Cleveland a good team. I'm not going to call the Celtics a bad team. So um, all, all the things that have played out so far, I think, uh, are just uh, we haven't started yet. And we're not going to know until 20 games into the season where we can right. start. That's one thing I like about doing this review is that you want to do it on periodically. You don't want to just have a preseason review and say that's a, it changes and it's going to change the first ten games of the season and it'll change right up to the first twenty games of the season. Um, uh, you know, we're seeing things develop like uh, Murray and like Robinson get injured. Um, uh, I have my eye on uh, Golden State quite a bit. And, um, uh, Did you watch uh, the Phoenix game last night? Well, what I did is, um, uh, you know, I was traveling over the last um, um, uh, week um, uh, by car. To, uh, we were in um, uh, Blowing Rock, North Carolina for um, uh, 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 a, one, a fun little family time down there. And, and uh, during the drive, you know, I, I kind of mixed. I had my Grateful Dead contracts at noon, noontime, some really good ones. So I was doing that on my drive. But we had two 13-and-a-half-hour drives. And, um, uh, and then inside of all my other movies, I was able to do a lot of NBA radio and uh you know, I, I, Golden State was on, and um, uh, they, they had a lot on them. And 
I listen to Kerr talk, and uh, I kind of, uh, you look at what they're doing, even with that center position, with it, you know, they're, they're going to run the center by committee again. I, I, I wonder, mm. is that Damian Jones and Jordan Bell and Kevin Looney? Is that who they're playing at center now that McGee's gone? And, Basically. Yeah, it's amazing that they learn to succeed like that. I I love Kerr talking about, um, uh, he feels this year that, there isn't a lot of pressure on them that they're really playing with house money after winning two in a row. And uh, he's had real short practices and he's not trying to burn them out anyway. He thought last year that he actually burdened them last year by telling them how tough it was going to be. And this isn't easy to win no more championships. And this year he's, he's kind of backed off on them. And uh, he, he thinks this three-peat thing is a real blessing for them in that almost the team is loose and ready to go and, and nice and healthy. And almost. so I, I think uh I don't see anybody in the West that's going to threaten them. I, no. You know, no. And the Rockets, um, uh, you had um, uh, Chris Paul on talking about Melo as one of the greatest players of all time. Did you hear that? I did not listen to that. I mean, oh my I thought God. Some, so right like, up uh, on it. He, has, really he kind of, has looked like he's fit into their system well. I, I don't know yeah, no, really how well he's going to play, but in terms of his – uh, really clashing with the offensive flow, or you being nervous about him being too overconfident and him letting his ego get in the way of the overall scheme of the team. So it far, that, better, has, right? that has, yes, it seems like they're, they're meshing earlier than he was in OKC. In OKC, he had moments, and he had moments where he fit in. Um, so overall, really, he's probably here, it looks like he's on a better start, and they're starting off on a better foot. Yeah, I think that's those. probably, I think that's legitimate, as much as I, no, I'm not a mellow guy at all, but um, I, I guess him and Paul George and Westbrook is not the same as him and Chris Paul in terms of the banana boat and all of that. And that maybe does, does make a difference in terms of how he's going to be integrated into the team. And, uh, yes. uh, uh, you know, so do you think he's going to come off the bench or do you think he's going to stop? I think it's going to matter on the matchup. I, I think that he, if okay. you look at his, if you look at his role, he's replacing essentially the Ryan Anderson role regular season wise right. in terms of what that, Not, what they're looking for offensively yeah, and defensively on their lineup. So if they're playing a team where there it's not a two man big uh, lineup, they, they'll probably throw him in there where he can def- defend smaller fours and not have that much of a burden on him defensively and be able to stretch the floor and get out to a lead early. Whereas I think if they play a bit a larger team like a Utah or something like that, they're more likely to throw out the James Ennis uh, or a more switchable defender. Okay. I think I think that they're going to be permeable. I, I think that you're going to see him start maybe yeah. 20, 20 games this season. Uh, so more often than not, I do think he comes off the bench. Uh, yeah, but from I, think, sense, I think he'll be playing starter minutes would be my prediction. So from a sense of what you're getting, uh, what I'm uh, feeling and what I'm seeing is that there's much more of a plan here in Houston than there was. Um, yes. and, and whether you hold out against Billy Donovan, I know you will. But, I do. Um, it looks like he's – and the little I did watch him play, I'll have to say – um, uh, he looked like he was in the flow of the team a whole lot different than he was in the flow of the team um, uh, 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 last year. And, um, uh, and I guess they can, they can use him, you know? Yes, they do. Uh, and so basically when I look at the preseason and stuff like that, I feel like I, I look for uh, chemistry and uh, hmm. how, how new acquisitions are fitting. So that's, that, that, that makes sense in terms of what I'm looking to see from Mello. Uh, I don't think production matters that much, obviously because of how inconsistent the rotations are and how deep coaches go, uh, just so they can give some of their younger players shots and some of their unproven players a chance to prove themselves. Um, so I'm looking for players that I haven't seen before in, the, in this context or, or in their specific context. So I'm looking for new acquisitions and stuff like that, like, like Carmelo Anthony. I, I think he looks good. But more often than not, I'm just looking at rookies. And I yeah. think that it's just it's, you're building up a bigger sample size of information to judge them on and the more games that they play in these preseason games, we formerly only had summer league games. Every time they play another basketball game, they're playing against tougher NBA competition, and the game that they play matters more. So, so talking about uh, rookie Shay, um, uh, have you picked up on Grayson Allen at all? And uh, I, I have I've watched seen, a couple of Utah. I've seen good stuff there, boy. He looks he looks to be he looks to be great off the bench. I, I'm liking what he contributes. He looks to be a he high was IQ a plus player. Twenty five last game in fifteen minutes. Yeah, um, yes. uh, that's hard uh, to do. Yeah, and the same game, Rudy Gobert was—he was a minus twenty-eight. And I, I don't—I think that might be the downfall of that team. But you're talking rookies there. I think Grayson Allen, someone that we've all been on down. He's going to get, get booed an awful lot as he travels yeah. around the league, and both for Duke and both for his antics. 
but uh, he could be a real surprise, and uh, I'm starting to turn the corner on him. I, I think he's an NBA player. I think he's an NBA player, too. I don't think that they're going to ask him to do too much. They have a nice rotation at their guards. Uh, they have Exum, who's going to be coming back off an injury, who's just really uh, revealed for, revered for his uh, defensive ability, and they got Alex Burks, who looks more polished than he has uh, the past couple of years. Uh, Maybe it's because he's separating himself from that clog that was him and Rodney Hood, and they were like kind of unsure who was the bench scorer. Um, so he looks better. And overall, I think I like him as a uh, third or fourth point guard. He came in, he was okay. aggressive on both sides of the ball. Grayson Allen, he, he showed a lot of heart, and you you know that's what you're going to get from him. He he did a good job in the stints that he was guarding C.J. McCollum. I didn't see him guard Damian Lillard. Maybe I just missed those aspects of the game. And he didn't guard C.J. a lot. More often than not, he was guarding like Wade Baldwin or a Nick Stauskas or a random bench player, which he did great against. But when he was playing that high-level offensive caliber player on the opposite side of the ball, I saw him do a, a, a commendable job. I, obviously, C.J. McCollum will score on you. Uh, no matter who you are, even if you're the best defender in the league. But I, I like what I saw out of Grayson Allen overall. Um, okay. Hey, talking rookies, to rookies, uh, here's one for you, talking for rookies. Um, uh, who's got the best um, uh, three-point shot, Mo Bamba, um, uh, Aiden, or Bagley? I, would have I think it's Mo Bamba. It's Mo Bamba. It's Mo Bamba. It's Bamba. And I, I, I think Aiden, I think uh, I was thinking Bagley was definitely the guy that was the shooter out of the three of them, and now you're seeing these other guys knock them down. You really yeah. you think Bamba, Aiden's hitting, uh, he's got pretty good range. Yeah, Aiden has good range, but he seems to be aware of himself, uh, yeah. and what he, what his role to the team is more than the other two. Um, I, I think that, uh, the offense with Orlando is, is, uh, it has less dynamism to it because each player is less individually talented. Um, uh, because the Suns don't have a point guard, it makes it seem like yeah. maybe that it's, it's confusing, but each player on that offense has a role. And I think Igor is doing a good job of implementing roles. It's just so obvious that there's a huge hole at point guard. And then on, yeah. the, on the third tier of that with, with Marvin Bagley, um, it's the complete opposite of Igor Kokoschev. I have despised what I've seen from Dave Yeager. He really is showing his yeah. that huh. as made, that's clearly the worst coach in the entire league. He's trying to throw out four lineups to have four centers. Um, I've, I've talked recently on how good I think De'Aaron Fox looks, um, but he, it seems to be – the impediment of uh, the bigs, all of them. It's, it's not just one or two. It's, it's, it's Giles. It's, it's Bagley. It's yep. Labissiere. It's Willie Colley Stein. All four of those guys who should be strong, young, rotation bigs yeah. with the ability to prove themselves on a big stage are getting hurt because of the pitfalls of a Dave Yeager ran team. And I think it's very unfortunate. And out of those three, I think uh, Bamba has the furthest before he's at his prime, yeah. um, he might have the lowest – I don't know if he has the lowest ceiling, but I think that he's more likely to get there than Bagley is because of Bagley's situation. I think Bagley is more likely to contribute now. Bagley will have more 20-10 and 10 games this year than Mo Bamba. But overall, it makes me really nervous with Bagley, whereas I'm aware of the process and the time and the amount of uh, progression that it's going to take before Bamba gets there. Um, right. You were much more uh, accurate about Aiton than I was, and no more. I, I turned on him. Quite, I mean, that guy. Talk about a guy that's NBA ready. That body. Uh, he's better than he was at any time in Arizona. Um, just playing in this competition and this style of play. It's like he. It's almost like he was just waiting to play um, at this level. You know. Yes. Uh, pretty impressive. I've, I've I've absolutely loved what I've seen from DeAndre, and he's proven every single thing that I was optimistic of him for and more. I think that him and Luka Doncic are two superstars in this draft, and I think that this draft is going to be commonly known as the Aiton and Doncic draft. I love what I've seen from him. It's it's so sad because he is being so productive and so dominant, and he doesn't have a player who can give him an entry pass. He doesn't yeah. have a player who knows wow. how to run a pick and roll as a ball handler. He doesn't have anyone who can run the break with half a brain with him right. the correct hit the correct lanes, and he's still getting 20 to 2010 games with, with ease, and he's still a low post uh, turn and face. He has lots of moves in his arsenal. He has a pull-up jump shot. Yeah. I, I like it. I, I'm not 100% sure with his range, but you can tell that'll come. You can tell that eventually he will be hitting the three ball. Right now, he'll take him here and there, but more often than not, he knows he belongs down in the paint, and he is one of the most gravitational 
this dominant big at such a young age that I've seen in a very yeah. long time. He, he creates so much space on that on his roll to the basket that his that his alley oops are almost like so automatic and and so pure that that like he, he doesn't even have to get very far off the floor so he, he can cash in on them in a way that I don't think other bigs in the league really can and, and I was really impressed with that with them and they've got a couple guys that are hitting them on those passes because he's had quite a few of them. Right. No, I, and I, I mean, I like some of the guards that they have on the roster. It's just obvious that they, they're missing a player that fits yeah. with the rest of that team. That, like it, I said, it, they have the pieces that make sense for a team that has an offense where there's flowing pieces and you can plug and play different players off the bench. They have they have a defensive set of uh, 3 and D wings. They have a scoring wing off the bench with TJ Warren. They have a shooting uh, four yep. and Ryan Anderson. They have a young defensive guard. I like Melton, even though he's looked kind of like a deer in headlights at some points in this preseason. Uh, I like I like Okobo. How's the rookie doing? He looks good in terms of what um, his player archetype is. Uh, he seems like he's going to continue to fit more of the score first player uh, who oh. can find his own shot. Um, and he has a he has a it seems like he has a good understanding of the offense and what needs to be run when, but he doesn't have the passing acumen that needs to be had in that team to accommodate a DeAndre Ayton or a strong cutting players with Josh Jackson. Uh, speaking of Josh Jackson, I think Josh Jackson and uh, DeAndre Ayton they have by far the best chemistry out of any two players on that team. The two of them together look awesome on the floor. They've connected for the most alley oops uh, alley oops out of anyone in the Phoenix Suns. And I think it's shining through because Josh Jackson is the highest level passer that this team has. And when you see a Josh Jackson, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll, it piques my interest because um, that was something that last year they weren't putting Josh Jackson in the situation uh, where he could succeed. Now he, he has a great uh, role threat to, to pair with his ability to be fast, quick. He dribbles low to the ground. He's, he's speeded. He turns the corner fast. And I think that he has a vision that we knew he had when he was at Kansas, but kind of faded away a little bit in his rookie year. Um, but we're seeing signs of it coming back out now, and I love what I'm seeing there. His, his vision so that, that's and his ability to make a difficult pass. It looks like that's, great. That's, Ay- that's Aiton's influence on the team, and, and, and that's the presence that he's brought. Are you feeling the same about uh, Booker's role? Um, uh, uh, and where is he at right now? Is he, is he weeks away? or? Yeah, he's, he's, he's still probably – uh, so they, plus, he's still playing. Wow, so they got to start I, I the think, season in, in a real I, I think hole. Gonna, I think they're going to start without him. Uh, it, uh, there has been positive uh, language from beat writers and from people around the Phoenix uh, organization when they talk about him, but no no one is saying uh, we think he might be able to suit up for opening night. They're just saying he's coming along well, and he, he's, he's, he's looking good in his recovery. So, so maybe he'll be back, and it was only a, uh, a finger surgery or whatever, hand surgery. So it's nothing like crazy serious. But it is on his shooting hand, and I know that they're trying to win, but I, I, I don't know if – I don't know. It makes me a little nervous. It's the last team that team needs, and maybe it's a good segue into the uh, the firing yeah. of uh, McDonough and um, uh, what the heck is going on there. and is this, uh, what's, with, what's with this owner, Bob Stauber, and um, uh, uh, how come? You know, uh, What's your look on that? I, I don't get it. You let a guy build a team. You let a guy make all the draft picks. Then you get all the way to a week before the season starts, and you fire him. Is is is, is it as clear as that? Or right. um, is the flip side that it's better to fire him now after he's done all the work than to have fired in April when you don't have anybody to do that work? I, I, uh, it just seems really screwy that, uh, and I'm not hearing good things about Stauber as an owner at this point. No. I I feel bad for McDonough. Uh, his resume as a GM is very very poor, and the moves that okay. he's made since he came into this team. Um, since 2013, uh, he hired Hornacek as a coach. That proved to be a failure. Okay. He drafted he drafted Alex Lennon as first draft pick overall. Yeah, as a he was the fifth pick too. Right? Fifth overall pick. Really yep. he, he traded for Bledsoe. They they drafted T.J. Warren, who looks like he's going to be a good. Yeah, team. he was a 14 pick. That's a legitimate 14 right. pick. That's yep. a win there. And, and then uh, they they traded. Yep. Uh, they had the whole scenario where they had the three team trade where they traded. They broke up that three guard rotation that yeah. led them to the, the playoffs, forty eight wins. So they traded Drogic and they traded it. They traded it to the Celtics for a, 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 basically a heap of garbage, and they traded uh, Drogic to the Heat for that twenty twenty one pick that we just saw them trade with Zaire Smith for Mikael Bridges. So yeah. basically, they traded Zaire Smith and Goran Drogic for Mikael Bridges. 
Um, but there's there are there's good. But they got Bridges, they, they got eight, and they got Josh Jackson, yeah, they got Booker, they got Warren, those are all They drafted Booker, they Booker at thirteen. They drafted Josh Jackson at four. And, and yeah. when you think about those things, I'm looking back on these drafts. Obviously, these are great decisions, and you need to commend them for making the correct decision at the time. But more often than not, it was the obvious choice. So I don't know whether. Um, the highlights get too much credit, and then obviously he's known as a poor, uh, poor GM because of all his other bad moves. Um, but I think that it's hard to know where the line between Sarver's influence and McDonough's tasks is. And I, it's very unusual. Listen to this quote that came out from uh, Woj when he was interviewed okay. recently. He was talking about Robert Sarver, the owner, okay? Uh, Phoenix Suns coaches have become accustomed to regular beratings and demands of strategy and lineup changes, league sources said. Rival executives could sometimes hear Sarver yelling in the background on negotiation calls with the Suns front office. Agents tell stories of private conversations occurring with Sarver without the front office's knowledge. It's clear that this guy doesn't have a strong grasp on what the difference between what his role should be in the team and when he needs to have his hands off. And I, I I don't know whether McDonough deserves the blame for all these poor choices for for the hiring of Earl Watson and then the firing of Earl Watson and then sticking with Jay Triana too long and for trading uh, Bogdanovich, Stahl, Labissier, Papa G for Marquise Chris, who they just traded yep. away again, for drafting Dragon Bender, who was one of the worst top five picks that we've had in the past decade. I don't yep. know whose fingerprints are on what moves. So, for me, I'm blaming Sarver because, of anything, Sarver was the one that brought McDonough in. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe they bring in a GM with uh, greater acumen uh, around the league who will be more headstrong. What I'm seeing there, I'm seeing. Out. But so, J- James like Jones a, is there right yeah. now, right? He is the assistant GM, and it is uh, heard to be likely that they're going to be bringing in James Jones as the and what we're seeing the there, what Shay, what we're seeing there is a, we're seeing a trend. Um, yes. uh, you know, Brent right. Barry, Elton Brand, um, yes. uh, James Jones, bringing and, former and, players. Yep. Yeah, uh, and that's good to see. Uh, um, uh, you know, I think um, uh, uh, they've been they've been held out of this mix uh, for a long time, and and certainly how they're going to relate to players, and in comparison to how uh, somebody like McDonough is going to relate to what's going on. I think it's a, there's a different feel there, and I don't know whether it would stop or whether it's going to work or not, but I see that as a trend that I'm, I'm happy with. I love Brent Barry getting that chance, and I love Elton Brand getting that chance. Yeah. But with both of those situations um, where it may work for them and where I'm not sure if it's going to work for James Jones, yeah. the reason that Elton Brand made so much sense, uh, even though it took them a long time to decide, with the Philadelphia 76ers is because that they were aware that he was going to be a player's GM that could communicate with other franchises' players, communicate well with his own players, be, make sure that the vision is well-known from top to bottom. But at the end of the day, he might be taking a backseat on certain decisions to higher-ranking members, even though not by title, in Brett Brown and uh, the owner with that team. So I think that they wanted to bring in a player that would be more likely to accommodate the whole organization's uh, needs and interests. And Brett Brown, I'm not Brett Brown, Bob, uh, what, what, the shooter, the guy who just got hired by the Spurs, what's his name again? So I'm trying to blink. I'm trying to blink. The other guy who just got hired by the Spurs. Oh, Brett Barry. Brent Barry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brett, Brett Brown, Brent Barry. All right, so <laughs> Brent Barry, yeah. he wasn't brought in as a GM, but, again, his decisions are going to be more likely behind the scenes and talking to people here and there and he's going to coalesce with players, and he's going to be a relationship guy. What I'm nervous about about with James Jones is he might be the similar type of GM as Elton Brand, but I don't think that's what the Phoenix Suns need. I think they need a hands-on GM who can strong-arm a clearly inept owner out of the room when there are trade negotiation calls, when the draft yeah, is we, coming around. Have you got any examples of that ever being done? I, I guess. If, if someone comes in and is proven to be able to make moves that are successful for an organization and tells the owner, hey, you've got to let me do your, my job. You hired me for a reason. Please let me do my job. James Jones is not that guy. And it may be harder than no. I'm making it seem, but James Jones isn't even a swing of an attempt at a guy that would do that. So what I'm thinking, obviously, Sarver's vision, who knows what the heck he's doing. Yeah, so he's doing the hire. Right. Um, He's probably thinking, James Jones can come in. I'll continue to have a say when I want to have a say. 
But what I hope happens is Igor Kokoshkov continues to take more steps in what his say and what his role in the organization is, because I know he has a good basketball mind on his shoulders, and I'm hoping that he takes the lead on more situations moving forward, and that will be for the betterment of the Suns franchise, because it's obvious that Sarver is really, really struggling to be able to handle the correct decision when it needs to be made. Well, it sounds like a mess to me, and um, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, a lot of people were expecting things from uh, uh, from this team going forward, and, and and, and I was high on what was going on until they didn't get the point guard. You've heard me talk about that forever. They, and, I agree. They need a point guard. I, 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 they definitely need one. It's, it's becoming more and more obvious the more times you see them play, even with preseason basketball. They need one. So without it, Domo, and with the, the combination of the owner, and uh, uh, I don't expect them to – what you think? Are you think I'm thinking what, I, them in Sacramento on the bottom of the league. Yeah, I, I think that they're going to be better than Atlanta, better than Orlando. But then, so, uh, they, yeah, then they're I mean right in the West. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree. They are the second worst team in the West. And, but and it's we interesting. We had higher hopes than that for um uh, for, for well, Phoenix and Sacramento, really. I, I have higher hopes, but when you look at it, like you can't really, unless there's injuries, I can't say that a Phoenix team, no matter how much I trust DeAndre and and Devin Booker and a new right. coach that knows what he's talking about, I can't trust that team to carry them beyond. Uh, uh, Memphis team with two All Stars on the roster. You know what I mean? So it's it's no, un, it's, un, it's unusual. Not. It's unusual. So I, I think that they're on the precipice of breaking through. I'm hoping that they land a point guard. It's interesting. It has been leaked out here and there that maybe that's what might have led to the firing of McDonough. That Sarver gave him a, a mandate or an ultimatum to find a point guard by a certain date, and obviously he didn't. So that maybe that's why he was kicked out. Um, obviously the timing is very weird. You don't want to kick your GM out of town. Uh, right before the season starts, um, they were they were out of contention by February last year. If they were going to do something, it probably would have been the right idea to kick them out then. But whatever, we we only have the future to look at for this team. I, I think that they're probably going to be. Uh, when's the next time they break 500? Two years. <laughs> Two well, years. It, 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 you put that point guard in there, and, and everything changes. So it's, it's um, happening uh, quick. Yeah, you're so, right. So it, if they could make that move somehow, some way. And the more I hear about um, uh, um, the owner, he's the obstacle. And, and yeah. it's like nothing good can happen there, and that, that's too bad. As good as the coach can possibly be, as good as you know, a higher-level player Booker can be and Aiden can be, and, and you, Josh, how can this team not be good? Um, and if the owner's in that position, it's sad that, um, yeah. we, can't, that we can't make a team out of this. Yeah, it's, it's continuing to amplify the thought process that the most, the, the greatest competitive advantage in sports is ownership because that they have the control over every single decision within the organization and they have their fingertips and fingerprints on every single choice that is made, every hiring, and those people are choosing the player personnel. So it, it's, it's proof that uh, when you have uh, uh, Vivek in Sacramento or you have it's just up and down the league. You can just appoint, you pick a franchise, and if it's commonly uh, revered as a strong franchise, it's more often than not that they're going to have really good, really, really good leadership at the top. But I, I think that the Suns, their outlook is still very, very promising because of the players they have in their roster. And I think that they are going to trade for a point guard, and I don't know how soon it's going to happen. And maybe bleeding into the next conversation, their trade for a point guard might hinge on the shoe dropping for a Jimmy Butler move. Um, yeah, I, I see a lot of their targets that they're trying to discuss in trade moves might be similar teams that are uh, potentially trying to be a third team or be the direct team that is dealing with the Jimmy Butler talks. Um, so so can we that assume that Butler is going to Miami? I think uh, so. He, Even though it looks like that's the, so, burnt, but right. where else, I don't, there's nobody else that's really so, so prominent right now. So it's obvious that Tibbs doesn't want to trade him. He, he went back to Minnesota no, today. I don't, I don't know where he went. He should have been in Minnesota the whole time. But Jimmy went back to Minnesota today. He met with Tom Thibodeau, and he wow. reiterated the fact that I still want to trade. You need to try to trade me. And I think it's very obvious that Tom Thibodeau pushed against it, said you should stay. Let's see what we have. Um, calling teams, but it's obvious that he's just pulling other teams' legs. Uh, the Clippers and the Heat are the two teams that came closest to a deal. In fact, the Heat had had a deal finalized, and they were sending a, around the paperwork for the deal to get cemented. And then, well, the, it, and then the T-Wolves pushed for more at the last second. And, it, and it's just, it, and then that made it, it completely deteriorated altogether. Look at the position that Tibbs is in, and, and uh, uh, he's got himself in a spot now where no playoffs and he is gone. 
So he's right. going to sit there right now and he's going to say, I got to gamble on something. And, and, and am I going to gamble on a trade that doesn't work or a bad deal just to um, take care of Butler? Or do I, or is the gamble that I can possibly get him to stay here, which one is more likely to produce a playoff team for me? And I'm not sure that he's, um, uh, I think when I see the trade that it's fair value, but I'm not him. And, and don't you think, um, or is Miami unwilling to trade Josh Richardson and, and Bam Abadeo? Uh, is, that trade seems to be something that should have happened um, by now. I mean, it clearly was very close to happening. I, if I was Miami, because of what interest seems to be there for both ends of the party with Jimmy Butler, for, for the likelihood that I think if they brought Jimmy Butler there, that he would coalesce well with that team's identity and with the organizational structure, and I think they would be able to re-sign him, I think they should do that trade. But when you're talking about uh, in a vacuum, a Jimmy Butler an expiring co- contract, a one-year rental, you don't do a move like that. You're giving up a young piece in Josh Richardson, yeah. who's proven to be an elite defensive perimeter player, yeah. and a promising young pick-and-roll big in Bam Adebayo, who came from a, a Kentucky school. Who we they're know. not going to do that. And, 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 uh, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they'll even give up one of them, never mind both of them. You know? But I, that, I'm hearing that the trade was sort of some combination of a couple second-round picks and Josh Richardson and maybe Justice Winslow if you're Miami, if you're Tom Thibodeau, why would you not jump on that deal? What, what, I don't understand. Well, because I think Thibodeau is looking at, at that and saying, that doesn't equal the playoffs, right? But, like, that's him. I feel like that, the, having that response to that offer where you're bringing in two defensive wings to a defensive-minded coach to a team that previously doesn't have that many wings defensively, I think that if you do a good job coaching that team, that team absolutely has the talent to be able to contend for an eight seed, a seven seed. If you're starting Jeff Teague and then you're starting Wiggins, Josh Richardson, and Justice Winslow with Carl Towns at the center, I think that's a strong enough team to contend. I don't know whether I don't think yeah. I would pick them, but if Tibbs did a good job coaching them, I think that what we're seeing is unless Tibbs knows he's getting a borderline all-star caliber player back in return for his all-star player, I think he's beginning to doubt his own coaching and his own ability to carry this team to the promised land. And yep. that's where we're seeing him being aware of his impending doom as uh, probably yep. getting fired. He's probably going to get fired if Jimmy gets traded and by December they don't have a 55 over 500 win record or whatever on pace. Uh, he's probably going to get fired at that point. So I think he's aware. I think he can see uh, the, the lining in there and, I I think he just needs to confront reality, and I think he needs to do the best that he can because the longer that this pushes forward, um, the longer well, that it's going to The clock is ticking right down to the end right now. The, the Rosses, are on, they get a, they're set on October 15th, right? Right. Well, the, the, the whatchamacallit, the new contracts are. So that, that, that allows for um, every day that goes by certain player deadlines pass where new players become available for trades. Uh, if you signed this summer – uh, it's not until December 15th that you can be available for a trade. Um, if you sign a rookie extension, your deadline is October 15th. So depending on the timeline, uh, they actually might have higher uh, likelihood of landing a deal. Um, it's just that their team is going to suffer the longer that they go. It, I think that they need to expand um, not only their uh, hopes of what they are going to return, but the teams that they're targeting. I mean, they're targeting they, – they, they went and contacted um, – Jimmy's uh, requests and uh, the Heat, and they got uh, some good traction with the Clippers and obviously a, a ton of traction with the Heat, but that fell through. And besides that, I think teams, the only conversations that they've been having are with teams that are contacting them, and they're giving them offers that make sense if you're acquiring a one-year rental. But for Tibbs, he's just hearing, you're going to give me a bench role player and a second-round pick? I'm not doing that. But I think, yeah. he needs, I think he needs to reach out. And there are teams out there that I think should be willing to make a move. I think the Wizards should contemplate giving up Otto Porter for Jimmy Butler. I wow. think that That's I because think you that, don't like Otto Porter, though. And, and yeah, but think about if Jimmy Butler goes to that team, he's a third fiddle. That, that trio right there of Wall, Beal, and Jimmy Butler, it could completely uh, – uh, it could go nuclear and it could blow up with their personalities. But – the ceiling is that team could be a finals contender. I, I, I just think that 
Jimmy Butler, if your team is trading for Jimmy Butler, you want to bring him into a scenario where you can win as many games as possible. And you want no. to prove to him that you're a team that matters and you're a team that is going to be competitive through and through. I mean, the yeah. Rockets are a great destination, and they've been rumored to offer yep. uh, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, and multiple picks. But, again, that's one of the deals that just isn't enough for tips. Yeah, that looks like that. I mean, one thing I need to throw out here is we're talking about Jimmy and Boy, how unprofessional is it to sign an eighteen point yeah. seven million dollar contract and then not show up for work? I mean, yeah. Come on, and I don't want to. Going forward, I would hope there's something they can do about that because that, that, that's that's just a very unprofessional approach by Jimmy Butler, and it's going to say things about him. He should be on that team right now, and he should be practicing with them, and he should be playing in the games until this happens. That's how it should be. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. All right, let's uh, transition to last thing. Uh, you contacted me and said you wanted to talk about some of the bigger NBA tragedies in terms oh, of uh, yeah. shocking, I, I, shocking deaths in history. So you want to frame that yeah. conversation? Sure. I, I had a pretty, I had an amazing weekend, and, and, and you know, I was with my daughter and um, and, uh, and Eric, who's her significant other. They've been together for four years, or maybe more than that. And I had never met Eric because they live in San Diego, and um, uh, we, we, we do FaceTime and stuff like that. But I never met him personally, mm-hmm. and and I knew this um, uh, prior to meeting Eric and. I think there's two stories here, and I'd like to follow up on one another time where uh, Eric himself is, is, is a very, very high-level player. And, and um, uh, it, 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 I knew going in, and I guess you didn't, that uh, his sister and Malik Seeley's sister, uh, a mother, the two mothers are sisters. And it was quite a conversation to have with, um, uh, with, um, with Eric uh, in terms of uh, his approach to basketball and what he knows, and um, he's a six three hundred and eighty pound guy that is really gifted. And, and just for your information, um, he, it's a background is almost like um, Derek and Eric Abney. It's almost mm-hmm. a background like that, and, mm-hmm. and so that he didn't surface the same way. But when I got home, I said, and he doesn't wear this as uh, uh, he doesn't wear the information that you know Malik Seeley is his cousin uh, as a, a badge. He's not like that at all. So he just kind of said it, and I, he said, you know, Malik Seeley is my cousin. As we had a big wheelhouse call for about an hour. That's the only thing he said once. And I said, yeah, I do. I follow him at St. John's. But when I went home, Shay, and I looked up Malik Seeley, I said. What an amazing story this is, and, and to have it connected to someone as close to me in, in my family as Eric. Eric Booker is his name. What a great name for a, a player, Eric Booker, too. And mm. so, as, as you now have looked into um, Malik Seeley and all the others, the others that come with him, but there's a 30-year-old guy that um, um, uh, he was Kevin Garnett's best friend. Okay, yeah. absolutely, Kevin Garnett's best friend. He's at Kevin Garnett's birthday party um, at 30 years old. He's been in the league for eight years. Um, had a really good career, great teammate. Everybody loved the guy. Um, he leaves the, party, leaves the party, drives home, and gets head on in a, going the wrong way direction by a drunk driver who was at .19 with the uh, limit being .1 in the state that he was in. Um, uh, just slaughtered him. The other guy survived completely. And a couple of the things that I look it up on that Malik Seeley's background, I mean, he is, his father was the bodyguard for Malcolm X. I don't know whether you know whether Malcolm X, he's, he's yeah, the Muslim leader from 1965 that was assassinated. And, and he's got a, and that's where his name from, comes from. Malcolm X, his full name includes Malik as one of the three names. It means king. And that's where our Malik Seeley came from. Uh, all that thing uh, rolling together really, um, uh, uh, I thought that, and then I uh, looked up KG, I looked up Sam Mitchell, and you hear them talk about this. KG actually wore the number 21 uh, um, immediately uh, out of um, um, uh, reference to, to his great friend. You look up KG and you see no, why he wears that number. Or, or you look up KG and you see on the 10th anniversary and you hear him talk about Mayor yeah. Seeley. And then for me to be thinking that, geez, Eric Booker and Sean, are, uh, uh, this is kind of crazy that it connects like that. And, um, uh, so that's what got me thinking about it. And then certainly the other guys, um, uh, you said yeah. you looked into uh, Malakili a little bit. Yeah. Um, he I also mean, was a movie was star. He started, he started a movie, movie with Whoopi Goldberg uh, as a basketball player. He's been on TV and um, uh, Murder, She Wrote and other stuff. It was a lot of stuff. I was just really intrigued by it. Yeah, he was a he was a big time player in uh in the Big East. He was like first all team Big East. I found out a lot of information about that. Yeah, yep. obviously his career was cut short. You said he passed away when he was thirty because of that accident. But he played for four different teams. Uh, his career he ended was, with Minnesota Timberwolves, obviously with KG. But he spent the longest time on the Clippers. Uh, I looked up some highlights. He he, he was good. 
He's good. He's good. Yeah. Okay, um, ten, po- ten yeah. points a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's okay. But uh, I, I don't right. I'm not, I'm not pushing right. him as a, the, the player, right. but I like the KG connection. Yeah, the and, most interesting part of it was KG's relationship with him. And when he talks, when you listen to KG talk about Malik Sealy, he, the, the season of, he was writing to Malik on the, his shoes, and he was, yep. uh, he, yep. he got a tattoo of Malik, uh, Malik yep. on, his, on, his, uh, on his arm. And it was the number two when he when he moved to uh, when he moved to the Nets. That's when he changed his number because formerly okay. he was already uh, twenty one. Twenty one. And yeah. uh, twenty one, I think that had parts of it, but I think his Malik Steele's number was two. Um, so that's what it changed to. So obviously okay. a, a tough tragedy, but definitely interesting in terms of the strings that are connected there. Uh, yeah. So what what are some of your most notable ones? I, I, obviously we have the you know, obvious ones with Len Bias. Uh, and Reggie, Reggie Lewis, because of our history with the Boston Celtics, um, I, I looked. I looked into some other ones, but I yeah. some of the names you came across. Well, it, it, the other ones. It's a story for me because one of the great experiences I ever had in basketball was following in 1990, following Loyola Marymount, coached by Paul Westhead, with mm-hmm. um uh, with Bo Kimball and um uh, uh Jeff Fryer, but all but with Hank Gathers, and they uh, averaged 122.4 points a game. Uh, in a college game, and there's so much out there. When you look at the other coaches now, whether it's Patino or Notre Dame's coach Mike Bray and stuff, uh, talking about the game uh, um, uh, and the way it's, the college game is right now, and how it could use some innovation, and and that that team. I love watching that team. You've never seen a team run like that. And it's unprecedented what they did, how they trained, how they conditioned themselves. Loyola Marymount, when are they ever going to be a team? Well, Hank, Hank Gathershade died at midcourt during mm. a playoff game for, in a conference. I mean, how much more tragic can you have than that, you know? No, can't get much more tragic. No. no, there's there's a lot of interesting guys. One guy that I, I didn't even know died tragically, or maybe I just forgot about this, was Lorenzen Wright. Uh, he yeah. When he, he was back when he was uh, 34, and it was like he just disappeared, and they, like, filed, like, his family filed, like, a missing report, per, a missing, missing persons report, and, like, a bunch of stuff like that. And then, like, uh, three weeks later, his, like, body was found. So and what was, year was that? Just, just that recently? Was in, uh, yeah, that was in, like, 2010. Yeah. So that was recently, and I didn't even—I wasn't even aware of that. He was an interesting player. He was uh, more prominent as a young, a young guy. Uh, he, he played on the Clippers, and he had moments. I, I definitely—I have a bunch of his cards, and uh, really? I was—I was aware of—I uh, was aware of him as a player. Uh, and he played played on the Grizzlies, and I remember him in, in those in those stints with those really cool driz, uh, jerseys. And he played with Bibby, um, and he, he was a strong player, but he wasn't anything crazy again. But I didn't even know he uh, experienced that type of. Situation. Uh, some of the other guys I looked at um, that I well, know no, nothing about, and I was hoping maybe you knew something about one of these two guys. Uh, Fernando Martin, who died in 27, uh, and Terry Furlow. I, I, which of those two guys did? Well, how? I don't know. I just kind of went right past them saying, man, you know, I, I got so much going on with these other guys that I'm looking at that um, uh, I, didn't, I didn't look up that details, and I don't. But the one that okay. you probably know and you could help me with is, is, is Drazen Petrovic at yeah, uh, 93. Yeah. Uh, fill me in on that. that. That's quite a story, too. He, he, he died overseas in the offseason. Is that what it was? And he was a front-line player, right? Oh, yeah. He, he looked like he was going to – I mean, uh, we're, we talk about how Luka Doncic is commonly regarded as one of the most decorated young uh, European players ever. But Petrovic like, basically was that prior to Doncic. Um, he was the World Cup MVP, EuroBasket MVP, multiple, multiple times yes. uh, EuroLeague champion – he was a top scorer in basically all of those events. So he was uh, revered by yes, that yes. Um, whole European community. Uh, oh, he was—he yeah. was—he was the he was, uh, uh, was the Spanish guy. league top scorer, a Spanish Cup okay. top scorer, the best athlete in Yugoslav, Yugoslavia. He was like the Croatian Sportsman of the Year, Yugoslavia Sportsman of the Year. He was one of the 50 greatest uh, Euro League contributors. Um, but then when he came over uh, to the NBA, he played for uh, Sabona and a couple other places. Um, before coming over, most notably like Real Madrid and other places. But he came over, he played for the Blazers for a little bit, uh, for two years, I believe. And then he played three seasons with the New Jersey Nets, and that's where his career uh, began to take off. And Who, who are the other players on that team? Do you know any of them? Uh, Derek Coleman. Okay, um, oh, okay, okay. Uh, I can't play, think of many other ones, off, to be honest. 91-93? I would okay. say no. Okay. Okay. I, honestly, I honestly don't remember. I, I honestly cannot think about it. I mean, they had – I remember that they had, like, a lot of big 
uh, rivalry games uh, with, like, the Knicks. Um, I, I remember uh, Petrovic going off in, in the garden a couple different times, but um, let's see. I'm going to try to find the record. Right a great there. player, like a, a, a point guard type player, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he was, so he was a, like a shooting guard. So he was a scorer, but he he had that like European flair, that the the stereotypical uh, the attributes of a European player. But he had them to the maximum. Um, when when he, he had the like Derek Coleman was his most notable teammate. Um, but when he was on the floor, he was playing only like 20 minutes a game for his first aspect of his career. But at, even at a young role, a uh, small role, he was scoring like 13, 14, 15 points a game. I'm pretty sure. Um, he, he was really dominant, but uh, it, it, it's just really unfortunate because he was so commonly regarded to be a young guy who was about to be on the precipice of um, of breaking out to being an absolute superstar. Um, but he uh, went to, I believe it was in, I don't know, when he was in, like, uh, the playoffs. That was when he died. Uh, Can you, do you know the, the details of the it was, a, it was a, it was an accident. It was like a traffic okay. accident. Uh, I'm okay. trying to look up information. That's all I know is a traffic accident. I think he got hit by a truck. I, I think it okay. was uh, it was like a rainy day, um, okay. and and he was uh, and he was back to, home, right? He was yeah, yeah. Home. He was in he was in um uh where was he? He was in Denkendorf. I don't know where that is, but that's where he was. Munich. Maybe. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, he was uh, he was just in a passenger seat of a truck, and he was just absolutely obliterated by this truck driver. Uh, I don't know if it was I mean, drink, drink, drunk or driving was involved, but um, I, he was, uh, unlike some of these other guys, obviously no disrespect to those guys, but they, they don't really hold uh, a flame maybe with Len Bias and Reggie Lewis. Yeah, uh, but one thing to, about, to what one thing about Len Bias and Reggie Lewis is, is that it's not quite the same as Malik Seeley and uh, Drazen and Hank Gathers in the terms that they they've got uh, extenuating circumstances, you know yes, that um, yes, uh, yes. and I think that 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 separates it a little bit in terms of the the, the tragedy of it all. I mean, they, they they were a little bit self-induced with what right. um, what right. happened to them. Where the others were unbelievable tragedies that they have. I look forward to um, uh, um, uh, some more wheelhouses with Eric, and I, I think you we're going to see him. Um, uh, um, uh, I think him and Sean. Uh, I think they're coming. To, uh, I've heard that they're going to they may be at Cousins Weekend, and you would get a whoa, chance to spend some whoa. time. With Eric, and, and I got what the an amazing, scoop. he's just, what a basketball freak this guy is, um, uh, he's wonderful to talk to, and he's got all ready? the skills, so it is, it is, he's really cool, and, and, um, cool. I, had, I had a great weekend with him, and uh, yeah. thanks yeah, for giving Petrovic, me an opportunity to talk about that. Yeah, Petrovic scored uh, 24 a game in the playoffs, wow. and uh, he had, a, in his uh, last season before he passed, he scored 22 a game. Uh, he, he wasn't he wasn't that much of a distributor. Well, average under four assists a game, but he was a he was a fifty forty ninety guy. Uh, wow! He, he shot he shot fifty two from the field, forty five from the three, and eighty seven from the free throw line, and averaged twenty two points a game. So he he was definitely a little bit ahead of his time and was uh, really catching the league by storm. And it was uh, obviously unfortunate to see him go. Uh, but yeah. I think I think we can uh, end on that. Uh, although okay. I, I included uh, Pete Maravich in this. Just because he passed away, oh. kind of like he post career, right? His career yeah, was over yeah. when he died, right? But he died yeah. when he was forty, and, and he, I think he was still playing. Was he playing? Because that, that's I where I wasn't he, sure. He never stopped playing. I don't think that guy ever stopped playing. He's one of those guys who's going to play for us as well. I don't know the details of that too, but hey, look forward to talking to you about the Celtics when we get back, and uh, we'll get a lot of thoughts about that. And I know you got a podcast coming up again uh, later this week where that's we'll right. cover a lot of details. A lot going on with that team. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I look forward to talking to you next Monday. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining me on the My We Lost podcast, Mike. Thank uh, you. Until next time.